0: The one year following the birth of a child is the most neuroplastic that anyone's adult human brain is, according to Dr. Ruth Feldman at Yale um, Medical School. And so because the brains are super neuroplastic, we are learning all these amazing things in parenthood. And this is true both for men and women. It's true for anyone who's actively engaged in the care of a child in that first year. And we're learning amazing skills that are going to make us great, great leaders and that are truly applicable on our jobs. And I don't think managers, I don't think people who are not parents talk or think enough about the fact that the skills that we're looking for in leaders are often the skills that parents are gaining.
1: Welcome to Elevated Thinking. It's a podcast from your friends at Avion Consulting. Today, I'm really excited to have Lori Mihalik-Levin with me. Lori is a fantastic coach and facilitator and thought leader in the space of parental return to work and being a working parent in general. We talk about some really interesting topics around not what to expect when you're expecting, but what to expect after the child arrives and you have to go back to work. Some of the challenges that people aren't prepared for and some of the ways that organizations can make themselves a little more inclusive for working parents. So I uh, hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Lori. I have with me today, uh, Lori Mihalik-Levin. Lori runs an organization called Mindful Return, which supports uh, working parents in various ways, both the organizations where they work, helping them being more inclusive spaces for working parents, and working directly with working parents to help them with all of the different opportunities and challenges that people in those situations face. But uh, Lori, I would actually, you know, I I hope I did it justice in the way I just (laughs) described it, but I would love to pass it over to you for a minute and just kind of tell us a little bit about Mindful Return and the work that you do.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, Donovan. It's a real pleasure to have this conversation with you. And I think you did it perfect justice. Um, We are absolutely here to support working parents on their journey, whether it's right after they're transitioning or as they transition back to work after parental leave, or as they're in the thick of toddlerhood and early elementary years, et cetera. Um, Mindful Return really was the outgrowth for me of a program I wished had been there for myself whenever I became a working parent. Um, I often note that the wheels came off in our household, Donovan, whenever Mm -hmm. I went back to work full time after having our two boys. And I'm certain that I had some undiagnosed postpartum anxiety. And I just really fell apart in those early years. I looked around for resources that could help me with that transition. I did all the Googling, Mm. go back to work after having baby, right? And found all sorts of snarky advice on the internet about (laughs) the fact that I shouldn't put a photo of my children on my desk, or I might leak on my shirt or any number of silly things that might happen. But that was not a thoughtful Helpful approach, and really, I set out to create a community that I wished had been there for me at a time when I was feeling really isolated.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously I I, I love the work that you do as a, uh, a a working parent myself. I identify with it. Certainly, we all have our own angle on it as a, as a man, it's a little different for me, but certainly Mm -hmm. uh, something that uh, challenge has been a big challenge for me in my working life. And I know, you know, we've actually previously done work together at a former employer of mine, large law firm. That's how I got to know you. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you give maybe just a little background? I'd love to hear a little more of your story, maybe start a little before you became a parent.
0: Yeah. So I think I had harbored a secret desire growing up to become a doctor. And then the whole blood and guts thing and the math and science thing mm. were just not my speed. And so I became a healthcare lawyer instead. Um, so I still got to touch the healthcare care space. Um, I am still actually a Medicare reimbursement lawyer and nerd, although I practice law as my side gig now in about 10 percent of my work week. And before I became a working parent, I went to law school. I clerked for a year. I Went and did big law for a couple of years, and then I went in house to the Association of American Medical Colleges, where I was doing healthcare policy work. When my two boys came along, what were um,
1: so you you alluded to my words like a rude awakening? Maybe uh, mm-hmm. when you when you became a working parent. But what were some of the things that were the biggest challenges for you, or maybe some of the things you weren't anticipating would be challenges that were?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I think. A couple of things come to mind. One, everybody told me I wasn't going to sleep, but I didn't fully understand the impact that was going to have on my mental health. And I didn't understand that one can have insomnia even while being dreadfully tired and waking up every couple of hours. And so I had a really hard bout with just not being able to sleep even whenever I was able because my sleep cycle was so disrupted. And that made for a really tough sort of first year of existing as a working parent because the sleep was so off. Um, the other, Another thing that I wasn't fully appreciating was how much my, and I know many, many, many other working parents' confidence gets shaken. You know, we're used to being successful professionals at the top of our game and high achieving and we get all the things and then suddenly we're in a world where we don't know anything, we don't know which end is up, we don't know how to keep this like human being alive. Mm-hmm. And I I hear echoed in a lot of the people that I work with this idea that well if I was gone for a couple of months, maybe I'm not that actually, maybe I'm not that critical to my team after all. Maybe they don't need me. I don't know what my role is here and I definitely experienced that. Um Another thing that I did not know about in New Parenthood was just how quickly the scene would change all the time. I didn't know the word sleep regression. Um, I didn't know, you know, that baby's brain sort of like burst into new activity and then everything you knew goes out the window suddenly. Um, So I think I was startled by the massive changes that happen so frequently.
1: Yeah, I I can identify with some of that. Certainly. Um, For me, it was this feeling of I'm not being a good enough parent and I'm not doing enough at work, right? So it wasn't so much the idea that one has to suffer for the other. I felt that both things were suffering and I didn't know how to reconcile that. I felt, well, I'm I'm dropping the ball at work because maybe I'm not sleeping, supporting my wife in various ways with her journey with it. And I felt like I wasn't living up to the expectations, mostly i had set for myself about being a dad. So for me, I, I really struggled with quite a bit of, I guess, imposter syndrome on both fronts. And that that was sort of surprising for me.
0: Yeah, that's very common. And I mean, we've heard that adage that society expects us to work like we don't have children and to parent like we don't have a job. And I think that is very true in many instances. And it's the narrative that we tell ourselves. Um, I also, you know, I had one woman i was working with who said i feel like i'm only doing 75% at work and 75% at home and her husband quipped back to her well that's 150% right. of humaning so i don't know how you're doing that <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: exactly right yeah that's that's what it felt like that's definitely what it mm-hmm. felt like the other thing i noticed as a as a man it is hard to speak up in certain ways at work to sort of identify your needs i know that it's mm-hmm. the same for women or other people that can ha- have babies certainly but I found a certain different type of way that I hesitate to use the term sexism in a, an application to something that I would be victimized by, um, because that is that's not really the right way to describe it. But certainly there were ideas about gender that impacted my ability to influence in the way I needed to to be the kind of dad I wanted to be. So, for example, there were th- there were times when I needed to take care of uh, my wife in various ways. And my boss didn't understand that It's, it's your wife, your Mm -hmm. wife needs to go to the doctor. What does it have to do with the fact that you're a parent? Or I'm trying to think of some more specific examples, but it even came down to the point where at some point I was being considered for a promotion and somebody in my orbit said to me with, I'm sure what was good intentions. Hey, are you sure that you want to do this? I know that you really care about, you know, being a dad and being a good dad, and this is going to create more stress for you at work? Are you sure you're up for it? And I just remember thinking, well, that's it right there. Right. Like I'm, I'm being asked (laughs) to sort of make a choice between two very important things that, you know, I certainly don't want to have to make that choice. I want to be able to do both things. And, and so I, Daddy,
0: you're being daddy tracked, daddy Daddy tracked. What does that mean? Yeah.
1: Daddy track.
0: Yeah. So there are very well documented motherhood biases that happen in the workplace. I mean, Bridget Schulte writes about this. You know, they've done these studies where they send out um, or they send job applications. And if there's any indicia of motherhood in, on there, then the woman is like 50 percent less likely to get an interview like these things are well documented and well studied. And it used to be the narrative that dad's got a fatherhood bonus. Right. As soon as they had a kid, they automatically get promotions because everybody understands that they need to earn more for you know yeah. the family. Um there has been more recent research particularly Dr. Jasmine Kelland who's uh, in the United Kingdom came out with a book a wonderful book last year all about caregiving and the fatherhood forfeits that exist and you know she talked to dads who had very similar stories they would say they would tell their boss I need to take my kid to the doctors and the boss would say well where's the mom you know why isn't she taking the child to the doctor and so um she really did a good job of documenting the career Detriments of talking about caregiving as a man, and so when I say daddy tracked, I'm sort of quipping that you're experiencing the exact same thing that a mom gets whenever she says, "Oh, you know, I, I care about my children," and then the company says, "Okay, well, then you can't possibly care as much about us."
1: And that resonates so much for me. And again, I, I don't think for a second that pe- people that can become pregnant that they have different. That, I mean, I'm sure it's worse, right? But but it's it's interesting because I think a lot of more progressive organizations have realized that they can't speak to you know the person that has the baby that way they, they, there's a little more awareness around that, but it hasn't gotten now extended to the other caregivers. It, it's great that we've made that progress. but there's still like some real areas of opportunity
0: and until we degender caregiving until we degender taking the full parental leave, I don't believe we'll ever get to workplace equality. We won't ever get to the point where we're not discriminating against women because, oh, they might go on parental leave. So I'm not going to give her that project or I won't hire her. Um, So, yes, I am all for getting on that soapbox with you, Jonathan
1: We're on the soapbox together. So what are some other things like, you know, again, I think that many of us have a pretty clear understanding of the obvious things that confront working parents, you know, just splitting Mm -hmm. time and having to maybe be able to run out and deal with, you know, our our, my uh, podcast co-host today, Nazma. Actually, wasn't able to participate because she had a uh, uh, kind of a last minute had to go do a carpool thing, uh, you know. And of course, we said, "Well, that's fine. We're, the show will go on, and we'll have you next <laughs> time." So, you know, it happens. Uh, and I'm sitting here in my home office with hearing my kids right outside the door, and I know that they may burst <laughs> in at any moment, so we may get some visitors. So, those are some of the more, I think, obvious things for most people, like some of the challenges. Mm-hmm. But what are maybe some of the less obvious things, especially to people that either don't have children or maybe? Are, are, are kind of past the point in their life where they've had small children, you know, a little further in their careers and, and you know, maybe older, what are some of the things that we want them to know that might not be so obvious?
0: Yeah, the, no, the three things that immediately came to mind, Donovan, were first, I want everyone to know that we are in a massive childcare crisis in this country. We didn't have enough people to care for our kids before the pandemic, and we've lost 20 percent of all child care slots. So if someone says that they don't have help with childcare, like they mean it. And they're probably trying 50 ways to Sunday to get somebody to help them and they haven't been able to. So let's have some empathy there. The second thing that I want to put out there is that I suspect most people don't know that the one year following the birth of a child is the most neuroplastic that anyone's adult human brain is, according to Dr. Ruth Feldman at Yale um, Medical School. And so because the brains are super neuroplastic, we are learning all these amazing things in parenthood. And this is true both for men and women. It's true for anyone who's actively engaged in the care of a child in that first year. And we're learning amazing skills that are going to make us great, great leaders and that are truly applicable on our jobs. And I don't think managers, I don't think people who are not parents talk or think enough about the fact that the skills that we're looking for in leaders are often the skills that parents are gaining. And the third thing I wanted to say is that I suspect people are not fully appreciative of the massive guilt loops that go through our own heads. And so if we say, oh, my gosh, you know, my kid is sick and I can't come in today. You don't have to rub it in that you know they're they're not going to make it to like the most important meeting they know that and they're doing everything they can to try to make it there um i wish that i could give everyone a magic pill to help dial down the the guilt loops and you know i i have reframes that i've learned and ways of thinking about guilt that i wish we could teach to everyone um but those are the three things that i wish everybody would know about working parents
1: so thank you for that and i i think all of those are Good reminders for me, even, you know, my children are a little bit older and I, you kind of reminded me of some of the, the guilt loops in particular, some things that I remember experiencing. But the first two things you brought up, I think are, they come up so often in the coaching work that I do with leaders. The first, you know, around child care. I've been coaching a very pretty senior executive who is a woman and has been needs to, even if you're the big, big boss, you sometimes need to drop everything and go take care of your child. And she has gotten feedback before, or maybe it's gotten back to her that people say things like, well, she gets paid enough. She should have childcare. And her response is, yeah, I do have the resources to have childcare, but I can't find the childcare, the nanny, Mm -hmm. you know, or the, the. Yeah, the place where I was sending my kid was not a good place because maybe my kid is neurodiverse or something. And so there are it's not just a matter of money. And by the way, many Mm -hmm. of us, even if, you know, it is a matter of money, certainly. But um, but yeah, even if you have the money, it is really hard to find not only child care at all, but the right kind of child care. The other thing that comes up in coaching a lot of times I speak with leaders and they are talking about, you know, maybe having difficult conversations with someone that reports to them and we'll kind of do an inventory of their resources, right? Like, so what are you good at, or how do you, you know, what can you bring to this situation from some other part of your life? Mm -hmm. And sometimes leaders are hesitant to bring their parenting experience into that moment. And because they feel like it somehow infantilizes the people that are um, reporting to them, the adults that they work with. And I try to reframe them and say, well, Think of it less as infantilizing uh, the people you work with and think of it more as you're being a good parent because you're treating your children with the same sort of relationship tools and respect that you would treat an adult, of course, in an appropriate Mm -hmm. way. But So I do think that leaders should um, mine all of the skills that they develop from being parents and use it in how they manage people. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's very basic human psychology relationship skills.
0: Yeah. And I know you and I have also talked in the past about how becoming a parent makes you grow up pretty pretty quickly. Right. Things that you yeah. might not have um had the maturity to deal with previously, you kind of rise to the occasion once you have the children. Yes.
1: Yeah. I you know, it's kind of a cliche, but I, you know, being in the room with my wife for two uh, you know, two different childbirth experiences. Uh, you know, you going through that with somebody, somebody that you mm-hmm. care about, it, it makes it a it gives you perspective on a lot of the other stuff that you need to yes. do. Some of the other (laughs) challenges and (laughs) things, and you know, it it definitely is a quick, uh, quick learning curve. So, Laurie, what do you think? uh, What what would be your advice, sort of, to new parents, or maybe even people that have been parents for a while that are struggling with it? What do you have any advice for what they can do to sort of advocate for themselves?
0: Yeah, Donovan, I love that question, and I I have two thoughts on that. First of all, I want to go down the self-advocacy route and just say sit down and brainstorm what would make working parenthood work well for you and write it all down and get it all out there. And then choose the things from the list that you commit to asking for. Um, I had a situation where a woman, this was pre-pandemic, so flexibility looked a little bit different, but she wanted to change her work hours from like eight to four instead of nine to five so that she could do pick up, drop off, whatever. And she was literally shaking in her shoes about asking her manager for this. And she went and had lunch with her manager before she went back from, from leave. and. Got it, mustered up the courage and asked. And the the manager said, Oh my gosh, of course you can do that. What else do you want? I thought you were here to tell me you were quitting. And she had no idea of what else she wanted. So have your list, right? And and dare to ask because you don't know what you might be able to co-create. I co-created a 60% partnership at a law firm. I didn't, you know, think that that was possible. It wasn't somebody, something someone said to me, oh, you know, you can go apply for a partnership on a 60% schedule. That's not, you know, so dare to ask for those things. And then the other thing that I'd say when you're advocating for yourself is that there is safety in numbers at organizations. And to the extent you can team up with other people who have similar concerns, join a working parent, um, ERG or affinity group, and like get other people together to, raise issues up through the chain, uh, you'll be more successful if you have allies.
1: I love both of those pieces of advice. I will say one of my favorite coaching questions is what did they say when you asked them about that? And often yeah. they kind of give you a blank stare and say, Oh, well, I haven't asked them. And then <laughs> whatever the topic is. So those, I think that's great. Uh, great advice. Yeah. yeah. So Let's think about the other side of this for a second. I know that's a lot of the work that Mindful Return does in addition to helping the parents uh, themselves, but helping mm-hmm. organizations create more inclusive atmospheres and, and you know, processes and things for um, for working parents. What do you think leaders and organizations should be focusing on to kind of make their workplaces more inclusive for people that are working parents?
0: Great question. And sometimes I hear people say, gosh, I don't know, like it's sort of a lost cause. They're going to leave anyway. And I'd say, no, 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 no. There are a 100 things you can do to help support the working parents in your organization. So just pick a few of them and take some baby steps and, and work on them and move forward. Um, I recently had an exercise where I grouped into six buckets, the types of things that organizations can do. So I'm just going to put the six buckets out there and we can dig into any of them. But I think it's sort of just a nice like overview of the fruit basket of options that you have as an employer. So the first one is a general mindset of celebration of a life event and making sure that the leadership of your organization is speaking in that tone. So mindset is one. Two are the policies that you have in place. Like, do you have ramp up and ramp down policies? Do you have ways of prorating hours if you're a billable organization? Do you have good paid leave? I mean, all that policy stuff. Um, Communications. Do you have conversation guides in place between people who are going on leave and who are leaving? Um, How do you get the word out? about organizations. I'll name that I was at an organization that did not communicate to me that it had backup care as a parental benefit until I was at the organization for 18 months. Mm. And I could have used it for 18 months, but there was no way of communicating with someone who had just been hired that this was available. And so, you know, how are you communicating the benefits that you do have Um, for programs? What programs do you have in place to actually support? Is it coaching? Um, I mean, I run a program that puts people together into cohorts who are all going through this at the same phase and time. Do you have a working parent or a caregiver ERG? Um, can you support those organizations? Do you have lactation support? The fifth piece is community and connection. Sorry, that's the, the ERGs, et cetera, and mentoring. Um, I was involved with a new parent mentoring program, for example, where someone who had recently gone on leave was paired with someone who you know, was now on leave. And the organization actually put calendar items on, like reach out to new parent now, right? So you can really facilitate that conversation. Um, And then the last piece, number six, I think I've got all my counting off, but number six is (laughs) data collection. You can collect data. You can know your own numbers. Do you know how many people have taken leave? Do you know how many weeks of leave on average your mom's take? Do you know how many weeks of leave on average your dad's take? And what does that look like over time? Has it dropped? Has it gone up? Does it look different across different departments or different practice groups in your organization? What's the utilization of the programs that you do offer? What's your retention rate of your parents at your organization? What percentage of your parents are getting promoted, not just sticking around? And remember the intersectional lens and remember to look at people through race and ethnicity and parenthood as well, because sometimes the compilation of the multiple identities can um, result in stigmatization in an organization. And so... That's a lot no, that one but, can do, but like it's a lot of um, pieces of things that people can sort of choose from. Right. So
1: it's not so much that I mean, ideally, every organization is doing all of those things. But for yes. organizations <laughs> that feel like there's nothing they can do, hoping to disabuse them of that notion, it sounds like.
0: Exactly. Pick
1: one thing and just go start doing it. Well, and, you know, what What was kind of uh, occurring to me as you were saying all of that is. We should do all this because, you know, as organizations and leaders, because um, it's the right thing to do. And we're hopefully all humanists and things like that. But, and uh, there is a business outcome here, right? (laughs) As you said, working parents become better leaders. We know that. (laughs) Also, uh, we're in a place where there's a war for talent. You don't want to (laughs) lose good people. And just because they become a parent, in many ways, it makes them a better employee or it can We don't want to lose them. So, you know, we do a lot of work at Avion around employee engagement and we have a model that we think about and the model has to do with how people think about their intrinsic motivations and how those show up at work. Hopefully most professionals do that consciously early in their career, thinking about the ways in which, you know, what are the things that matter to them and how do those things show up at work? But when you become a parent, maybe those things change and it's a moment for us to sort of re-examine what's important and our organizations can help us do that. So, you know, when we think about engagement, there is the self-identity is the first piece. How do you bring your whole self to work, essentially? Mm -hmm. Well, your whole self is fundamentally changed when you're a parent. So that's a new (laughs) analysis to make, right? We think about competency. So are you learning new things? Are you developing the skills you have? And most importantly, are you using all the skills that you have And bringing them into the workplace. And as we said, you're developing new skills as a parent. So that's a new way to think through what engages you and what motivates you at work. The third piece has to do with autonomy. And I think that might be the most obvious way that becoming a new parent, sort of, you have to change that analysis you make for yourself. Autonomy means something totally different when you have new responsibilities and you're actually in many ways, not autonomous at home. You have, you have another little person there that you have to bend to their beck and call. And so autonomy becomes something you need to re-engage on. And then I think the fourth piece of the puzzle with employee engagement uh, tends to be around community and feeling mm-hmm. relatedness to the people you work with, finding those other parents Finding other people that are considering becoming parents and being a mentor to them in that mm-hmm. capacity, I think, can be really interesting. So I think organizations should be supporting in any way they can their employees to kind of relitigate those conversations they have with themselves. Um, and I think mm-hmm. it's, you know, a big part of keeping people engaged now that their life has fundamentally shifted and it's almost like, well, I'm in many ways a new person because I had a kid. Um,
0: yeah, and and we've seen Donovan that when people feel supported through this transition process, and they feel like the employer was cheering them on and giving them tools and resources, they're extremely engaged and loyal um, after that event. And so everything that you were saying about engagement, are you know things that can be achieved through supportive programs for new parents as they're going through that like one year to two year transition period. I also want to point out for employers that the return to work is not an event. It is a whole process. It is not like, oh, one week. okay, fine. They're back in the saddle. Like for me, it definitely took until each of my kids was around a year old until I felt like I was in a bit of a groove again.
1: Yeah, I think in many ways it is a you know, it's a crucible that that employees and and their uh, employers and leaders walk through together. And to your mm-hmm. point, it can be a moment that really damages a relationship and disengages mm-hmm. And on the flip side, it also has the power to create a really strong bond between the person and the organization and the leader. I had this major thing happen in my life and my organization was there as, you know, a, a, a pillar of support rather than someone mm-hmm. that I had to negotiate against to live my values as a parent. Right. So,
0: yep, absolutely.
1: And I, and I should say, if any of my former employers are listening, I actually, while I might have some, um, few pointers in general, I, I feel like I've worked for some fantastic organizations that have been quite supportive. So I wanted to mm-hmm. just in case some of you are <laughs> I do, I do appreciate uh, the support that I was given as a working dad. Little fun piece here, Lori. I wanted to ask you. You know, I mentioned that it happens naturally when you're in a workplace and you're a parent, and other people know or are considering having children. They may pull you aside and ask you, you know, what is your advice, or what do you think, or should I do this? Mm-hmm. I've, I've got, I've been very honored to have that conversation with a few people um, that were either direct reports or you know, just people that uh, were just in that life phase and wanted my perspective. So, I want to ask you, what advice would you give your pre-working parent self? Um, if you were able to get in a time machine and, and give them a little wisdom, what would you say?
0: Uh, um, one, the Teddy Roosevelt quote, comparison is the thief of joy, mm. should be your daily mantra. Like you need to do you. I worried so much about walking out the door at 430 at the end of the day to get to daycare because the daycare was going to close at 545. And if I was a minute late, it was $10 a minute. It was just like, I was so like overwhelmed with what people were thinking of me and that guilt of, you know, that perception that I wished I had tuned them all out sooner. And so tune out the rest of the world, right, is definitely one um, thing I would have said to myself. Another thing is find your people sooner. I think I waited. I was so isolated, but I didn't know that the reason that I was suffering was because I was so isolated until I started talking to other parents and been and felt the relief of hearing, oh, my gosh, me too. Uh, that is exactly the crazy thing that's running through my head. So find your people early. And then um, the third thing is like, it's all going to work out. It's all going to be OK. The world is abundant in opportunities. Your your children will be fine. I don't even remember the period of time now when my oldest son would not take a bottle. But at the time, I know I had convinced myself that I was going to kill him if I went back to work because he was going to starve, right? And now he's 12 years old and weighs 100 pounds and like he's, you know, a robust child, but like all of this will pass. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think my advice to my former self would be basically what you said. And I would just say, you are enough. It's gonna be Mm -hmm. okay,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: do your best and that's gonna be plenty, right?
0: hmm. Exactly. And it's hard to get to that point in the early days of parenthood, when yeah. all the voices are telling you a million things about how you should parent and the 100 the books have 100 pieces of conflicting advice. And I mean, my other piece of advice to myself would have been to put away all the parenting books <laughs> much earlier yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and not driven myself crazy. I've now come to the understanding that if there are a 100 books on a subject, then there isn't a right answer. And you can just go with whatever makes sense for yourself Absolutely. and your family. <laughs>
1: Well, Laurie, this has been great. Let us know, how can people get in touch with you and, and kind of find out more about uh, Mindful Return?
0: Thank you, Donovan. So if you are an employer, there is an employer page on our website, www.mindfulreturn.com, where you can go to learn more about our programs to support working parents who are making the transition back to work. If you are a new parent, you can also go to the website and look at our programs. Um, we have a newsletter that comes out every Saturday called Saturday Secrets, uh, where we ship share a quick, Q&A tip for working parents. Um, we also have a document called 99 Questions to Ask Yourself Before, During and After Maternity Leave, or, sorry, Parental Leave that you can find on our website. Um, I co-host a podcast called Parents at Work. I do a Tuesday tip for working parents on Instagram and LinkedIn, uh, at mindful Return is our handle. And last but not least, I wrote a book called Back to Work After Baby that you can find on Amazon and all the places that one finds books.
1: You are a busy person. I, no, I, I,
0: well I don't use impressed. that word. No, we don't, like I don't use that word. I do not use the word busy. I, I gave it up eight or nine years ago. Tell me why. Because it always made me feel one, stressed out. And two, it was like that badge of honor that I had to wear at the law firm. I'm busy. No, I'm busier. No, you're busier than me. I live a full life and I'm happy with all the things that are in it.
1: And this is why I love talking to you. Thank you. I'm going to try Thank to you. remove busy from my uh, my vocabulary if I can. Thank you so much for your time. I really I learned some stuff from you. I hope the people listening did as well. And, um, you know, just I really appreciate you spending a little time with us.
0: Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation. And that's it for Elevated Thinking.
1: I've got a special guest to help me record this outro. You want to say hello?
0: Hello.
1: And what's your name?
0: Um, Mr. Pickle.
1: Yeah, this is my son, Vaughn, a.k.a. Mr. Pickles. And he wants you to know that if you want to reach Lori, you can get in touch with her at mindfulreturn.com. And if you want to reach us, you can come on over to avionconsulting.com or shoot us an email at info at We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a suggestion for a future podcast episode, feel free to come drop us a line. All right, that's it for today, Vaughn. Rubber ducky. Rubber ducky. All right, Vaughn. Uh, so thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.